welcome to the LB School Podcast. I'm Christy Michelle, the School and Library Coordinator, and today I have the joy and privilege of speaking to Dusty Bowling. You may recognize her as the author of books like Insignificant Events in the Life of a Cactus and 24 Hours in Nowhere, both of which have garnered starred and rave reviews and have been on a slew of state awards lists. Her newest novel for middle grade readers is The Canyon's Edge. It hit shelves this fall on September 8th, and it's already gotten a starred review from Kirkus, which said, it's an edge of your seat read. Educator extraordinaire and author of The Creativity Project, Colby Sharp, also had some kind words for it, saying, if you're looking for a great book to add to your to read list, look no further. Dusty, welcome, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. And thank you for waking up so early for this. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) All right. So let's jump right into the questions. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself, why you write, why you write for middle graders, and tell us a little bit about your, your history as a reader. What books did you read in middle grade that have stayed with you now as an adult? Well, I fell totally in love with reading around fourth grade, and I think part of why I fell so much into books and reading was because I was having a a tough time in my childhood with my parents. There were substance abuse and physical abuse issues in my home, and my parents had gotten a divorce, and I didn't have a lot of friends at school, so I wasn't in a really tough spot, having a hard time, and I discovered how much I love reading and what books could do for me and how they helped me through such a difficult period in my childhood. They were friends when I needed them, when I was lonely, and an escape when I needed one really badly, and they were guides for me when the grown-ups in my life were not doing a very good job of guiding me, and I think that because middle grade novels back then were so special to me. That's why I feel drawn to writing middle grade books today. Just the thought that the books that I write could be as special or mean as much to a child as those books meant to me back then. And and the books that I was reading back then were like the Babysitter's Club series and Sweet Valley High and Beverly Cleary and, oh, the Choose Your Own Adventure books. I loved a lot because they made me feel like I was in control of my own destiny. And as a child, you know, you often feel like you have no control over anything going on in your life. So all of those those books and those authors were incredibly special to me. And they are today. And I, lo- I love sharing those, those books with my children now. I remember reading Anna Martin and um, the Sweet Valley High books, too. Um, <laughs> I, like, devoured those books. And they were they were formative for me. So it's... It's really, it's always a really special moment when I'm talking to other people about reading books and they say they've read them too. I feel like I've, I've met a kindred heart, a kindred spirit. Oh, me too. Yeah. Definitely those books that we read when we're that age, I do think they have a, an influence on us for the rest of our lives. Even though I was having so much turmoil in my own personal life, they gave me a glimpse of something that was, you know, stable and, and that things weren't always weren't always like they were in my life. And I do think that they, they shaped my mindset and, and what I hoped for for the future, things like that. How did Nora, Nora is the protagonist in The Canyon's Edge, how did Nora, her family, and her story come to you? How is The Canyon's Edge different from the other books you've written? 
and what challenges did writing it present for you? Well, this book was really a long time coming. I'd been thinking about it for years, actually, and it started as a lot of my stories start, which is just a little tiny spark of an idea, which was a girl searching for her father in a canyon. And that came from just my love of our Arizona canyons. We have many, many canyons in Arizona, and I visited uh, most of them, I would say, and, and they're so beautiful. And so when I had this idea to sort of like uh, work with my love of canyons, I thought, a girl searching for a father in a canyon, and it was this huge canyon in my mind, like Canyon de Chez, which is my favorite canyon in Arizona. But it sat there in my mind for, I don't know how long, it was a really long time because I couldn't figure out what had separated them, which was really important. <laughs> like, how would a girl get separated from her father in this canyon if they were hiking it? Or, or did he go down by himself and she has to go search for him? Was there, like, did he get kidnapped? I don't know. Like, it, we kept trying to work it out for a really long time, and I couldn't. And then um, in July of 2017, we went up to visit my mom. She lives now in a very small town called Strawberry outside of Payson, and we went hiking together to this location called Water Wheel just outside of Payson, and it was really nice, and it was nice to get out of the heat and all of that, and I didn't think anything of it, and then a few days later, right after we had been in that exact spot, this family was hiking in that same spot, and a flash flood came through and killed nine people from the same family right where we had been, and it was it was so devastating, and I just, like, I just grieved for this family. It was horrible. And they were also from my hometown of Cave Creek, where I was living at the time. Even though I, I didn't really know them, I knew sort of of them and their restaurant and things like that. But it was just a horrible tragedy that I couldn't stop thinking about for a while. And that was when I realized after a time, because I they were always on my mind, was, you know, perhaps this isn't a big canyon that Nora's in with her father. And Perhaps it's a, a narrower sort of flat canyon, and it's a flashlight that separates them. And, and then the story really started growing from there in my mind. But even that was 2017, and I still wouldn't actually write this story until fall of 2000, I think it was 2018, because it was so different from anything I'd ever written before. And I knew that. I knew this was way too different. It was much darker than anything I had ever written before. I had always written stories that were quite humorous and, and full of dialogue and, and relationships between characters and friendships. And this was so different, and I knew it. And so I felt very hesitant to write it, but I couldn't stop thinking about it, even though I told myself, you shouldn't write that. That's not what you're used to. It's too difficult. It's too dark. Um, and so I just kept taking notes about it and notes about it, notes about it. And then before I knew it, you know, I had like 10,000 words of notes for a story. I, I told myself I should never write. <laughs> so, um, but definitely it presented a lot of, a lot of challenges just because it was, it was so different from anything I'd ever, I'd ever done before. I always love hearing authors talk about the process behind their writing and just what you said about writing The Canyon's Edge right now, how um, 
that phrase you used, a girl searching for her father, like it almost sounds like the tagline of a movie, right? It's so evocative. But when you actually read the book, it's like, it's really visceral because of the detail you put in it, the physical details of the canyon, which I really appreciated because I'm a city girl. I don't go hiking. I don't know anything about canyons. So I was really like interested in those parts, but also the emotional detail you put in with how Nora feels and how Nora thinks and how she's processing everything that has happened to her and everything that is happening to her when she's separated from her father in the canyon. So even though the idea of the book is so big like when you actually get into the book it's really like you really get in there so I really like that about it oh thank you <laughs> so speaking a little bit about Nora and how you created her did her story or her voice change at all over the course of your writing The Canyon's Edge yeah it definitely did this was such an evolving book for me from the very beginning to, to the end, but I tried. So I tried early on. It was shortly after that tragedy in 2017. I tried, I think it was just like a couple of months later. I said, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to, I'm going to write this because I can't stop thinking about it and I've got to get it out. And I sat down, I think I wrote like one chapter in prose and I was like, I cannot write this story. This is way too difficult. It was not coming out in prose at all. All. I was just, it was like painful trying to get it out. I was struggling. And then I decided again, no, I cannot write that story. Put it, a, put it aside. I also couldn't totally figure out her voice. And I hadn't completely figured out her backstory. And I knew she would be dealing with some kind of trauma in her past. But I hadn't fully decided what that was. And so I was just, I just was still unsure about a lot of things. And then as I was taking those notes, over like the next year, I have a little like notepad app in my phone. And so I always, I would always have that open on my, my home, you know, like my home screen. So I could tap it really quick and I would pull my car over and like jot down some notes or I would wake up in the middle of the night, jot down some notes. The story just still wouldn't leave me alone, even though I was having such a difficult time actually sitting down to write it. And that was because when I would take my notes, they were really brief. They were really concise, and they were coming out like poems, like little individual poems. I would have a little scene in my mind, whether it was like it was like her freezing in the middle of the night in the dark, just looking at the stars or something like that. And it, I would jot down each one, and I noticed after a long time, I was like, "Gosh, this is all written like little tiny poems." And that was when her voice really started to come out. Was within those notes and within those little snippets and in the the poetry, basically, that I was writing that I didn't think I could ever write. I didn't think I'd ever write poetry or, or write in verse. But then when I did finally sit down and decide to write it in verse, it did flow out really easily, but her voice still wasn't quite, quite right. I sent the earlier pages to my agent, which I always do. She's great, and she reads all my stuff early on and multiple times and is really helpful to me. She came back and she said, She's really hopeless. She said, there's like nothing here to root for. It's hard to root for a, just an absolute shell of a person. And so that gave me a lot to think about. And so I tried to make her more hopeful, more positive, more looking forward to the future. And then when Lisa, my ed editor, got it, she she said that 
it was similar. It was like she she still felt like the hopelessness and the hopefulness was sort of muddled and with Nora. And I really needed to zone in on that and basically like have her her arc of hopefulness be more of like a, a bull shaped arc, I guess you could say, where she starts out more hopeful and then she gradually loses that throughout the story. And then of course, you know, because he, he, I feel like all middle grade novels need to end in a very hopeful way. And so, so of course that would come back at the end. And so, yeah, it definitely took a lot of feedback. I rely a lot on, on feedback. I love getting feedback because I can't always see where the issues are and it evolved from that. And, and, over time and my own several revisions before we ever even sent it out on submission. And so it, it was difficult of crafting her voice, but I think it turned out just how, how it was supposed to be. I think it's good for people to hear about how communal writing is because I feel like a lot of people think that it's just you alone in a little room typing out <laughs> on your computer. And sometimes it is, but, you know, there are readers throughout the entire process of writing. And mm-hmm. there are readers on the, op- on the other side of writing, too, like when the book is finished and when it's published and when it's out in bookstores and libraries. So it's great to hear that readers are always involved. For sure. And, of course, it is you for, for a while when you write your first draft. It's you by yourself. But, like, writing the first draft for me is a less important and even probably shorter part of the process than the revision process, which is, so it takes so many people and so many eyes on your manuscript, and I'm so grateful for that. I mean, I would never want anyone to see one of my first drafts, <laughs> except for my agent, I guess, because <laughs> they, they definitely need work. Okay, so this one is my favorite question to ask. I ask everybody this question. Imagine a bookshelf. On it is The Canyon's Edge. What are three other books you would place next to it, and why? Oh, that is a tough, tough question. I think I have to go with three other books in verse because I just feel like if, if you're looking, if you like a book in verse, then you're probably going to want to read other books in verse and books that are, are pretty emotional and have children dealing with difficult, facing difficult challenges. And so I have to go with one of my favorite all-time books, which is Inside Out and Back Again by Tainha Lai, and I, lo- I just love that book so much. It's so beautiful, and I reread it while I was writing The Canyons. I just to get, like, some first inspiration, hoping that some of her, you know, her brilliance would, like, somehow seep into my brain or something, because it's just such a beautiful story. And then another one, a more recent story that I think is also incredibly beautiful is Other Words for Home by Jasmine Warga. Such a great book. And then the last one, which is a book I love in verse. It's actually half in verse, half in prose. And it's Forget Me Not by Ellie Terry. And it's about a girl who has Tourette syndrome. It's a lesser known book, but it, it's really beautiful. And it's special to me because my husband and daughters have Tourette syndrome. So it's a really great representation of Tourette syndrome. Those books are now on my digital bookshelf. To be read. <laughs> On page 30, Nora, quote-unquote, sends her mind to another place, and then the novel turns to verse. You spoke a little bit about it when you were talking about your writing process, but do you have anything else, or could you tell us a little bit more about why you chose to have Nora tell her story in verse? Well, writing a story in verse was literally the only way I could get 
the story out. And I think for a story to be told in verse, the subject matter and the tone and the emotion of the story really has to, to demand it. And this story just absolutely demanded to be told in verse to the point that I could not get it out in prose. Um, so the earlier drafts were totally in verse from beginning to end, actually. But then one of the first things Lisa asked me was when, when she bought the book was, would you be open to rewriting just the very beginning in prose? Because she wanted me to expand on the relationship between Nora and her father. And, and there were other reasons. And I thought about it and I thought, yeah, I'll try it. And so I did. I went back and I think writing it, getting it out in verse and then going back to prose, I, I could get the beginning out in prose now because I had so much of the foundation there in verse. And it really did allow me to expand on the beginning like she wanted me to, especially it was mostly about the relationship between Nora and her father. So that was, a, I think that was a really good call. But then when I decided I was going to do that, I also decided that I should have a reason for why it switches into verse at that sort of pivotal moment in the story. And so I thought about Nora a lot during that time and, and how she liked poetry and how she liked writing poetry and what writing is to me and what reading is to me, which has often been an escape and a way for me to have an outlet for my feelings. And so I decided to to sort of explore the concept that she uses her poetry as, as a bit of an escape or when she needs an outlet. And so when the time comes, when she's facing new trauma, she uses the poetry as a tool to help her heal, but she's also sending her mind to a another place as a, a sort of form of self-preservation in that moment. And that is a place of poetry for Nora. When I read that, it's at the very beginning of the book, but when I read it, that line sends her mind to another place. And the way it's shown on the page, it's like, it's not like all on one line. It's like, it like descends a little bit. Like yeah. each word descends a little bit. I read it and it, it was like, for me, it was like, Nora was going to use verse or for her poetry as like a coping mechanism and also like it was a way for her to reach for some kind of control in this situation where she had so little control anyway I just really liked it and it like it hit me really really hard when I read it yeah definitely that that's also for sure yeah. you nailed it <laughs> So speaking a little bit more about verse and about poetry, what do you think they can offer to readers? What did writing in verse allow you to do as a writer that you maybe wouldn't have been able to do um, if you'd written the whole the whole book in prose? Well, writing this story specifically in verse, I don't I, I have never written another story that I felt like would have been appropriate to write in verse. This story was so emotional and so much in Nora's mind too. It really allowed me writing in verse really allowed me to get to the emotion of the story and to really explore and expand on Nora's anguish and her trauma in a way that I just don't think I could have done in prose. So I think that verse is really good for those kinds of stories that are so emotional. I also discovered just in general how much I loved playing with language when I was writing it and, you know, just picking, I'd never worked so hard to pick each individual word before. 
uh, and then really having to think about line breaks. I'd never thought about line breaks before, so that was a huge learning process. But I found that I could be creative with this story specifically in writing in verse that I, I don't think I could have done with prose with the shapes of the poems. For example, there's one poem called One Raging River where the shape of the poem is like a funnel shape because she's talking about how the water from the mountains would have come together, you know, how the mountains would have funneled it from like several streams into finally one raging river in a narrow flat canyon. And so I was thinking of the water in that poem and how it funnels down into this flat canyon. And so I decided to shape the poem like a funnel. And that was, I love, it was just, it allowed so much creativity that writing and prose never would have allowed for this story. And so I, I, I hope I come up with another story idea one day that that could be written in verse. Um, I don't know that I will, but I really, really enjoyed writing in in verse. Speaking a little bit more about just the the physicality of the book, like when Nora starts or when her voice starts um, speaking in verse in the book, like at the edges of the pages, and I'm not in production, so I'm probably not using like the right words, not using like the <laughs> jargon that they would use, but like the edges of the pages are like, they look kind of like a canyon. And there's also like kind of illustration at the bottom of the books too, the bottom of the pages. Um, yeah. It was just like, it engages you not just in like what you're reading, but also like in how the book looks. So it's just, it's really rich to hold and like flip through as you're reading. Oh, thank you. I love the illustrations throughout too. And the, the canyon walls and some of the pages. And I, 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 I think the design team just did such a beautiful job. I'm so grateful for how beautiful they made the story to just look at. It's so nice. Yeah. So Nora's dad loves haikus. Do you have a favorite form? And could you tell us a few of the ones that you use in The Canyon's Edge? Yeah, I mean, I'm really actually quite new to writing poetry. I wrote some poetry in high school, um, of course, like every other high schooler. But other than that, I'd, I'd not really written a lot of poetry since then. And so I was really new to writing poetry when I decided to write this book in, in verse, which is part of why it scared me, the thought of even doing it so much. So I'd say right now, because I'm such a poetry newbie, I really love writing just in free verse. It, it just, I, I think without any sort of real rules or anything like that, I feel really free to explore poetry and, and what I can do with language and all of that. But I did include several haikus throughout the book. I do like writing haikus. I've always kind of had fun writing more like silly haikus. These were more <laughs> serious haikus. And I use them a lot to convey information from Nora's therapy a lot. And so I wanted to just get little snippets of information across in a really concise, brief way. I didn't want to go into a big lesson on, you know, what she was learning and through her therapy, but just get some some little bits across some concepts and things like that that she was thinking of and dealing with. So I used the haikus to do that just because I kind of do like writing them. And it was also kind of a fun challenge. You know, I would take concepts like grounding and be like how could I how could I concisely explain grounding in one little haiku and so it's just kind of like a fun challenge but I did notice since I am new sort of new to writing in verse I noticed I relied on some I guess you could call them poetic techniques throughout and I, I noticed over time that I was doing it quite a lot like alliteration I don't know why 
I'm so, like, I kept writing things and using alliteration, for example, like Nora's dream elements are made up of boom, flood, a blur of brown legs and the bees, and then, you know, things like, or I even, like, marked this page, because I, I noticed throughout editing, I was like, wow, I really do a lot of alliteration, like, when she's talking about this Calaverde tree that she's trying to get this rope out of, it says, the limbs scratch and slice, mar and mangle, injure and inflame my arms and legs, it's slender green branches snap and flash, lick and lash, whip and welt my face, it's thorny claws clasp and clutch, tug and tear, rip and rend my long hair, so I was just constantly doing that, so someone might notice that now when they're reading it. But yeah, so I guess I was just sort of like playing with language and, and exploring and figuring how to even write poetry. And so free verse is definitely, definitely my, my method of choice. Did you have a reason for using one form to illustrate a thought or emotion over another? There's one poem I noticed called Lie, and it's an acrostic poem, meaning that the first letter of each line spells out a word. It spells out tormentor. Why use that form for this poem, or did it just come to you naturally? Yeah, I mean, it, it sort of came to me naturally, and I and I also got the idea, um, because I'm always reading, of course, a lot of books while I'm writing, and I was reading a lot of books in verse while I was while I was writing The Canyon's Edge, because, again, I, I was really new to writing in verse, and I was learning so much, and I learned so much just from reading other beautiful books, and... So there was a couple of things I was looking at changing with my revisions, and one was introducing the beast, who is like Nora's internal demon, a little differently in the story. Instead of him like bursting onto the scene, I guess you could say sort of gradually introducing him much more slowly. And so I decided to use an ac uh, three acrostic poems, which I'd never really done before, because I, I wanted him to be a little bit vague, I guess, for a little while. But also the, the poems that I, that I used are, you know, it's like lie, uh, another lie, one final lie, I think is what they're called. And, and so it's Nora lying to her therapist, basically, about the beast and what it means, what he means to her and her life. But the, the truth is there inside of the lie. And so, like, for Tormentor you know, the poem spells out tormentor, even though she's saying, like, he's not real, and, and stop asking me about this, I, I don't want to talk about him, things like that, and and so I thought that would be a good way to put the truth of what he is inside of a lie, and I did sort of get the idea to write the acrostic poems from, I was reading a really beautiful book in a verse called This Promise of Change, which came out last year by Joanna Allen Boyce, and she has one little short acrostic poem in there and I actually I have the page marked and it's please let the troops bring Clinton back from the edge of the cliff all we want is to go to our school without the cyclone of ugliness without fear without hate with ease and it spells out peace and that was so beautiful and so that really inspired me to try my own hand at writing some acrostic poems. Could you read one of Nora's poems for us? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. I have, let's see. How about before and after? All right. 
I sit and think and breathe and twist one long strand of hair around my finger. I hold the strand in front of my face and stare at the clear line of my before and after hair, where my life broke into two parts so easily identifiable like a ring in a tree thinner than the rest, indicating a drought occurred that year in the high desert, forcing the people to move on to another place. A park ranger taught us that at Montezuma Castle when the three of us used to adventure. The foot of hair from the tip is my before hair. It's streaked with gold, red, brown, and blonde as though it's reflecting the colors of the canyon, vivid and shining and alive, grown during a time of safety, love, and adventure. My before hair is hair my mother would have touched when she was asking me about my school day or telling me a new story idea. My before hair is hair Danielle would have braided into a fishtail while we watched movies in the middle of the night, hair she would have rubbed lemon into before we lay out by the pool together. My before hair is hair that would have been regularly washed, brushed, and styled. The six inches of hair from the root is my after hair. My after hair is irregularly washed, brushed, and never styled, except to be put up in a ponytail. My after hair is only one shade, having been kept in the dark, unchanged by desert days filled with chlorine and sun and adventure. My after hair has never been touched by mom or Danielle. How can I do this? How can I make it through the canyon with all of this before and after in my face the entire way? That was before and after. Thank you for reading that. Yep. I know you do a lot of school visits, and I think if you do any any readings from this book, they're um, they're going to be really powerful. So we've spoken a lot about poetry here, but I want to give Nora her due because she's like an uber heroine to me. Like you start reading the book, and it's 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 her book, it's her voice. You get completely sucked into her her subjectivity, and you just identify with her so much. And she's gone through so much and she's feeling so much. It's just an experience, like reading her is an experience that you can completely immerse yourself into. And as a character, she's so smart and resourceful. And I wanted to ask, you've spoken already about how you crafted her voice, but let's talk a little bit about her and her father. Was it difficult to get the nuances of their strained but deeply loving relationship down? Yeah, it was. And it wasn't coming across in the earlier drafts when it was written in verse, which is a big part of why Lisa wanted me to, or wanted me to explore rewriting the beginning in prose. Um, also, when it was written in verse, like in earlier drafts, I had him, he was really quiet and withdrawn, and too much so that my earlier readers felt like it would be nice if we could see more of him and his relationship with her because then we could root for him throughout the book too, not just for Nora, but we're rooting for him and we care about him as well. And, and in the earlier drafts, I don't think people really cared so much about the father, honestly, because I hadn't done a good job of portraying him very well. And so, um, yeah, when I rewrote it in prose and I got it in my mind that they could be both things, like they could be both loving and close but also have serious issues they're contending with. That was like a breakthrough that I had, whereas before it was just like they were dealing with these serious issues and it was all problems, and I just had not shown their relationship well. Rewriting, that took quite a bit of thought and rewriting, trying to bring in um, showing this complex relationship that is both loving and, and very close, but also very, very strange because of what they've been put through, and it's no fault of either of theirs what what's happened to their relationship it's been done to them 
um, and they're both dealing with it in their own way, which isn't necessarily the healthiest way for either of them, but, you know, it's just how they're coping at the time. And so you, I, I hope that then the readers feel empathy and, and a connection with, with both of them, even though they're both maybe not doing things exactly as they should be, but who's to say how someone should handle such horrible circumstances ever. So then he's not, and then he's not in the book for most of the book. So just that beginning part, though, I had very few pages to try to establish that that relationship and, and, and make people hopefully feel this relationship and feel what they mean to each other and, and then just have the stakes be all that much higher by the end that she find and reunite with, with her father, who is one of the most you know, it's not the most important person left in her life. Oh, yeah, it definitely came through. Um, Nora's, like, hurting so much, but even through her own pain, she can see how her father is hurting. So, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. What do you hope young readers take away from The Canyon's Edge? Oh, yeah, that's a big question. I've long, ever since I was a teenager, I've long had a heart for children who are who are dealing with trauma in their lives. Even when I went to college, I wanted to be a child psych psychiatrist for all of college, and I even studied child psychology. I think it was because of my own childhood and the issues that I faced during my childhood that left me with this. It wasn't the same, even not at all like the same kind of trauma that Nora is dealing with in the book. It was a very different kind of trauma that happened over longer periods of time. Um, but it, it left me with this lasting trauma that I eventually had to seek help for when I was in my early 20s to try to get past a lot of the things that I dealt with as a child. So I think there's not necessarily a lot of children out there who will have dealt with a trauma like what Nora has had, um, you know, a trauma as a result of gun violence. But many, many children will have experienced other traumas like I did, like domestic violence, addicted parents, and sexual abuse, losing someone they love to an illness or an accident, homelessness, bullying, you name it. Like, I think every child out there has something they're dealing with, which is why I focused almost entirely on Nora's trauma and her healing from the trauma rather than the incident that caused it because I wanted it to be accessible and useful to any child dealing with any kind of trauma in their life. And so I hope when they finish the story, they finish it with the feeling that their lives are no matter what's going on, their lives are worth fighting for, they can heal from their trauma, and that any guilt or shame that they may be feeling over something that has been done to them is completely misplaced, and, and the things that have happened are not their fault, and, and then I hope that as a result, they would feel more confident in reaching out to adults they trust to ask for help, whether that's the counselor, um, Nora has a therapist in the story, so whether it's that or just another stable adult in their life that they can confide in. Thank you for that. And thank you also for, for your thoughtful answers to all the questions. And that's all, folks. Thank you for tuning in. The Canyon's Edge will be ready for reading on September 8th. You can find Dusty online at DustyBowling.com and on Twitter at at Dusty underscore bowling. And we're always on Twitter at, at LB School. Until next time.